Hi there, this is Alessandra Potenza at The Verge. Samantha Cristoforetti is an Italian astronaut with the European Space Agency. She currently holds the record for the longest single space flight by any female astronaut, 199 days. She's also the first person who's brewed an espresso in space. And with her geeky Star Trek references from the International Space Station, she's become a favorite of science fiction fans. As she waits for a new space mission, Samantha is at the European Astronaut Center in Cologne, where she's working on new technology that could be used in future missions to the moon. I talked to Samantha about how she became an astronaut, what scientific experiments she performed on the ISS, and what happened to the famous space espresso machine. So I read somewhere that you studied abroad in the U.S. when you were 18. Where did you go and why did you decide to do that? Uh, yes, indeed. I was an exchange student. Um, I was in St. Paul in Minnesota. And uh, well, the reason I wanted to do that is because of that as a child, as I was very fascinated by the idea of, you know, not, not so much traveling, but really discovering other places, discovering other cultures, really learning other languages. Um, and so I always knew that I wanted to do this um, or take this opportunity of, the, of, of doing an exchange year abroad during my school time. Um, and then, of course, well, I didn't specifically choose St. Paul, Minnesota. That just happened. But um, I chose the United States because already back then I was very much fascinated by space and science fiction. And, of course, the United States was back then and still is the, the leader in, in space exploration. I studied abroad in the U.S. as well when I was in high school and ended up in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. How, how did that experience uh, shape who you are now? Well, I think it takes uh, the mystery or, as you say, it takes the scary aspect of, of, uh, of going in a different place away because you do it as a, at a pretty young age. Um, that experience that I'm sure you also made in your middle of nowhere in Kansas of the cultural shock is, is something that is very important to experience, I think. And, uh, you know, if you experience it as a, as a teenager, I think you still have that I don't know that, that that flexible attitude or that ability to just incorporate that into your your frame, in your personality, in your experience, in your tool bag, and then you just take it on as as you go. And so I think it helps me to make other decisions in my life later about studying abroad, traveling abroad, during, doing you know my, my I did my studies in Germany and then I did part of it in France and then I did my thesis in Moscow. Um, and then, of course, right now I, I live in a very live and work in a very multicultural environment. And so, I, I think that first experience as a as a teenager, as a, as a girl, um, you know, it, it gave me the confidence of making all those other choices moving on. And I think all together they have very much shaped who I am. And when and why did you decide to become an astronaut? Uh, well, it, it goes back to childhood, so it's it's a little bit difficult to say why because. That that's an age where where decisions you make are not necessarily so rational or conscious. I, I actually like to say that space chose me as opposed to me choosing space. You know, I I, I was at that age where you just get fascinated by something. Who knows why? <laughs> um, and then uh, you know the the interesting thing is that. As I grew up, I developed a lot of more mature interests and passions like science and technology and flying and, again, traveling abroad, different cultures, different languages, and all those things all together, they kind of kept me on the path to, to space. In 2014 and 2015, you spent 199 days on the International Space Station. What was your experience like? 
Uh, well, very difficult to describe, of course, in, in, in another few words, because as you can imagine, it's, it's over six months of your life, right? So it's a, it's a complex experience. You, you start out with a, a huge peak of excitement, because I had um, worked of my, of all my life almost to, to get to space. I had desired this for pretty much all of my life and so it's you know on the one hand you have this aspect which is the fulfillment of this uh, incredible dream and, and and it's almost you know you're there but you still can hardly believe that it really happened um but then it's also a job i mean you're there to perform people have trained you and have invested you for for years so you also have the whole um pressure of of performing your job correctly and living up to expectations for 199 days and then you have the aspect of, you know, becoming an extraterrestrial being, you know, really learning how to live outside of the planet, um, mainly living in, in, in weightlessness, which is the, the, the main feature, of course, of this environment, which differentiates it from uh, being on the surface of the planet. Uh, and then there is the aspect of uh, it being your home for for six months, and your crewmates being your your family, and and, and that the, this whole bond and dynamic that that develops, and this familiarity that you gain, um, on the one hand for the space station, on the other hand even for the entire Earth that you see out of the window every every day, and that as a whole, as a planet, becomes very much familiar to it. So there's, there's and, and then there would be much more. Of course, it's a very rich and complex experience that has many many aspects. A lot of astronauts say that going on the ISS changed their lives. Do you think being in space changed you? No, no, I don't think it has. Um, I think that's a little bit exaggerated sometimes because that's what people really like to hear. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that, you know, when people come back and say, you know, I have developed this appreciation for um, the fragility of our planet or of us being, you know, um, the caretaker of the planet and, and you know, being all um, on the same boat, the truth is that probably we all think that anyway. <laughs> and then, of course, going to space kind of, you know, it's something that is present, visually present to you every single day, but um, but I, I, it's not like I didn't know all those things before, right? So it didn't change me in that sense. What scientific experiments did you work on on the ISS? Uh, well, quite quite, quite a lot. Um, there's um, a total of about, um, I think it's somewhere between 200 and 250 experiments that run um, in a typical expedition of uh, six months. Now, of course, I didn't have to deal directly with all of them. Some of them my crewmates did, some of them they just run in the background and the crew doesn't even have to interact with them. Um, some of them I, I only have to flip a switch or something like that or just take samples and put them in the freezer so I didn't have to do much. Um, and then there's maybe a few dozens, I don't know, maybe um, 40 to 60 where, where you really are involved. Um, a lot of the crew member, um, mainly the ones that are human physiology where as a crew member you are the, not only the operator, but the, the actual subject. So the experiment is run on you as a, as a human that adapts to being in space. Uh, but also some biology experiments are, are, are pretty intensive because you have to handle the, the samples and somehow treat them or fixate them um, in, in a very specific way. Or um, um, I'd say I, I even try to raise uh, fruit flies in space. So sometimes there's uh, experiments with little animals which um, require special particular care from, from the side of astronauts. Is there anything about living in space that you miss? <laughs> well, I'm not a personality. I'm not a nostalgic person, so I, I hardly ever 
concentrate on what I miss from, of, of something, but if I'm thinking more positive about the next time that I will go to space and what I look forward to experiencing again, then definitely uh, weightlessness. It's, it's a very um, unique feeling. It's like a, you know, the physical feeling of lightness and, and freedom and uh, inhabiting space in three dimensions. That is uh, very, very special and you can only experience it in space. And what did you miss about Earth when you were up there? Uh, taking a shower. You became famous for making the first espresso in space. How did that happen? What's the story behind the espresso machine? The espresso machine? Well, I think I was approached um, sort of simultaneously by a company who thought it would be a great idea to um, to send an espresso machine to space, and then another company who um, was really wanting to send the Italian espresso to space as, as a product, not a machine. And then this whole thing uh, became this uh, this really cool project, and the Italian space agency supported it, um, and uh, and they did an amazing job. I think they were they were really very young team of engineers in in Torino, uh, very motivated, and uh, you know no, nobody believed it at first that they would be able to sign it up there in time for my expedition because it was a pretty short lead time. Um, things you know in space. Things you want to fly to space usually, you know, they, they need some time for, for not only the engineering aspects, but whole, all the safety reviews, you know, all the boards that need to approve it. And especially if you're talking about a machine that that contains uh, fluids at high temperature and high pressure, then, you know, people get really nervous in terms of safety. Um, and so, but uh, they, they beat the odds and they made it happen in, uh, in time, barely in time, because uh, I think it got up there in April and I was supposed to originally to leave in May. But, uh, you know, we, we were all really excited. And what happened to the espresso machine since then? Well, uh, I think the follow-on crews that were not uh, great coffee drinkers. Um, so I think it's been uh, stored, uh, put aside uh, in a storage location. So it's not an operational mode right now. But I think the next uh, Italian astronaut was uh, flying to space this summer. He plans on uh, unpacking it and uh, installing it again. And, and um, he got, he, he's definitely getting some coffee capsules shipped um, in his personal little um, food allocation container. So. Did you choose any particular foods? Yes, I had um, pouches made um, uh, for me, so we, we have this opportunity as uh, EVA astronauts um, most of the time to actually get a couple of recipes developed for us and uh, in a limited quantity be shipped to us. So I, um, I actually had a couple of um, recipes developed um, based on nutritional value, so really balanced uh, meals where you know I could just open the pouch and I would have a whole meal in there, which would be a, a balanced, um, you know, food intake. Um, and one was a quinoa salad with um, mackerel and uh, dried tomatoes, uh, which I usually added some olive oil to. And uh, the other one was um, a chicken dish with mushrooms and uh, peas. You're quite popular for your social media posts from space. I was wondering, when you're up on the ISS, how do you decide what to post? Well, but one thing are the, um, the pictures, so nice things that you see from, from the window that you, know, you snap a picture of and you post it and... Um, 
usually what attracts the most attention, to be honest, on social media. Um, and then there's the other things which uh, require a little bit more work, although they actually <laughs> attract less attention, <laughs> which is um, uh, reporting what you actually do. So, um, in fact, for at least uh, the first half or more of my mission, I actually made it a point to post almost daily blogs where I describe the experiments that I was doing and, and the different activities. Although, as I said, they do not attract half as much attention as the nice pictures, unfortunately. But, <laughs> but I did feel committed to not only share pictures, but actually also content on what I was doing. So I, I tried to do that as well. I loved your video on the ISS toilet. What was the feedback to that video? Oh, the toilet. Uh, I see. Um, I don't know what the feedback was when it was posted because, uh, you know, when, when you're in space, you're a little bit in a bubble, so you don't really <laughs> know exactly what happens. Uh, but I, I still see it sometimes reposted, even nowadays, at um, a distance of two years. So I, I think it was uh, well received. And, well, it's just that it's something that everybody's always curious about. So I guess every time somebody in the world writes a blog or an article about life in space, they will link to it. I mean, not only to mine, there's other astronauts who've done it, but I guess I get my share. <laughs> was the video your idea? Yes, yes, that was my idea. You see, unfortunately, we, we, it's very difficult to do detailed videos about the work we do, because when you do work, you don't really have the time at the same time to do a video, because, you know, it, it's... Uh, if you're doing an experiment, you're on a tight schedule. You know, that experiment is meant to take an hour, and you really only have an hour for it, so it's very difficult to make extra time. Plus, it, it would be not very professional, because if then you get delayed, people are going to say, well, you were doing a video instead of uh, working, so that would probably not be very professional. Um, but so the, the only things that you can really take the time and document and try to make a nice video about are the things that are more like life on board. So that's why you will mostly find videos about the toilet and the gym and washing. And um, as I said, only one thing is things that people are curious about. But then on the other hand, it's also the things that we have a chance to document because we can do that in our, in our free time without impacting our work. How are you trying to inspire more women to get into STEM? Well, I think you... Um, you should not make an effort about that. You should just be yourself. You know, if, if you are in a position like I am, where you can be an example of somebody who uh, did a career in STEM, I am one of those people who think that you know you are a role model by being and not by talking. <laughs> so I, I, I'm usually not somebody who will go out and and and, and try to dispense uh, advice. Also, because I think individuals, they all need their advice, and it's very difficult to give advice for large groups of people. But um, I'm appreciative of the fact that I'm in a position of being a role model, and so, you know, I, I just try to be myself and, and ensure that there are things that you can do, that they are an option, and then, you know, young girls or young women can take from it whatever they, they need and is useful for them. What are you up to right now? How do you spend your days? So I have a number of tasks. Um, so well, first of all, I, I work at the uh, European Astronaut Center, which is in uh, in Cologne, and I am responsible for uh, an initiative, which is called the Spaceship EAC Initiative, where we basically work on um, low technology readiness um, projects uh, related not so much on current spaceflight, so not so much on ISS, 
but thinking about future missions going back to the moon, especially. So, you know, I, I don't know if you're aware, but there is a, an idea and a growing, growing consensus internationally that um, we would like sometimes in the second half of the next decade to have human missions um, to the moon, to build a, a habitat around the moon or into lunar space and then have human missions to the moon. Um, and so that there is a lot of work to be done in terms of uh, technology development, but especially what we do here is like operational concepts. Um, you know, very much, we work very much done with students, um, where, you know, we, we just kind of scan ideas and, and, and see if, uh, if, if an idea is good enough that we can then insert it into the wider European Space Agency ecosystem and it can be further developed. I'm also responsible for uh, a project we're doing here, which is to build um, with a relatively low budget a, a lunar surface um, uh, simulator. So it's going to be like a, a, an enclosed surface under a dome where we are going to put a, um, a bed of uh, regolith simulant, which is regolith is this powdery substance that, that you that is that covers the moon, um, and a habitat simulator, um, and also a demonstrator of um, a carbon-free energy supply based on um, solar panel, electrolyzer, and fuel cells. I am uh, also responsible for a, a project that looks more into um, radiation and uh, radiation protection, which is potentially one of the big problems that we will encounter as we do space flight beyond low Earth orbit, because we're not as protected from radiation as we are at the altitude where the space station is right now. Um, and I'm also part of the working group that looks into um, cooperation with the uh, Chinese Space Agency, which is something that we want to um, further develop in the, in the next years. What will the future of space travel look like, you think? Mm. Well, as I said, I, I think that uh, from the point of view of uh, government agencies, um, things like NASA, ESA, uh, JAXA, and, and so on, um, there is a, a focus on, well, on the one hand, of course, continuing the International Space Station, uh, but then preparing this, uh, this um, missions. And um, I think that there is a consensus now growing, um, which is something ESA has been saying for a long time, but I think there is also quite some consensus building right now about um, the next step being uh, the lunar uh, vicinity. Uh, and so that, I think that's what we're going to see for uh, definitely the next uh, the next decade. Um, at the same time, of course, there's uh, proliferation, which is uh, nice, of, of private initiatives. And uh, it's a little bit more difficult to see where, where they're going. I mean, I, I can definitely see uh, private initiatives uh, taking over, let's say, lower orbit as we wind down operations of, uh, of the ISS. But then, of course, Periodically, you have announcements of private initiatives uh, concerned more with moon, asteroids, Mars, um, and it's, uh, I, I think it's very hard for me to judge uh, how realistic those are. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it's exciting, but I, I don't have enough insight to understand whether they're really feasible or not. Would you ever like to go to Mars? <laughs> well, it's a question I get asked all the time, and of course I would like to, but uh, realistically speaking, I think this is probably something for the next generation at least of, uh, of uh, European astronauts. Uh, it's going to be a little bit down the line, but, uh, you know, if I, if I get still in my career an opportunity to do something uh, lunar, for example, I will consider myself already very, very fortunate. 
Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Verge Extras on Apple Podcasts. And for more from Verge Science, check out TheVerge.com.